gentlemen, welcome back to the men's basketball show here on WMUA Sports. This one, this episode will not be airing uh, on 91.1, but you can hear it here on our Spotify page and you can hear all our prior episodes as well here on Spotify. But episode four here today, it's October 7th. 2020 cam Seibert, devin dobik and now nathan strauss back with us here for another episode of the men's basketball show we've got some stuff to get into here uh like last episode nothing major in terms of news surrounding the team uh no schedule released yet no non-conference schedule has come out yet uh but we still got some stuff to talk about we're gonna get into it here but let's just check in how are things going with you guys devin you're out in east long meadow taking classes from home what's going on with you uh Got a few midterms and tests coming up, but um, it is what it is. Trying to get through it. Just keep telling myself it's going to all get done, but definitely a little overwhelmed right now. Calling a few games back at the high school. So that's kind of a good break. Got uh, girls soccer tonight, boys soccer last night, lost one nothing. But yeah, that's pretty much the scoop right now. That's nice. And like I said to you, <laughs> uh, as a senior, I can tell you it's only going to get, I don't, I don't want to say worse, but it's not going to get any better in terms of the <laughs> workload and uh, as as the years go on, obviously stuff starts to matter even more and more. So don't don't take it for granted right now to be a freshman and to kind of still have time under your belt. It feels like the world Fair is moving enough. so fast and time is moving so fast for me right now. Definitely enjoy the time while you have it. All right. <laughs> He's like, thanks. Uh, trying to give you some some wisdom there. I, I don't appreciate know. it, but it, it's still like. <laughs> yeah, you're like, but out. I still have homework, Cam. I still have stuff to do. We're good. We'll get through it. We'll get right, it. Nathan, a little bit uh, of a different situation you found yourself in the past couple of days or, or going on a week here, uh, had, had a little exposure to the coronavirus and now have been holed up in the UMass hotel where you'll be quarantining for a little more than uh, another week. What's uh, how are things going? How are you staying sane? And uh, yeah, what, what have you been doing day to day? What's yeah, I mean, only 10 more days now at this point, which is pretty good. Oh, I've been well, <laughs> only 10 more days. I've been doing a lot of reading. Uh, my grandfather sent me a package full of like uh, murder mysteries, which I've been working my way through. Uh, I've been getting ahead on some work, believe it or not. And then FIFA 21 just came out on Tuesday. So I've been uh, playing a lot of FIFA. And this tonight I'll be watching some soccer, playing some FIFA, playing some Warzone doing the typical things that I can do when I have nowhere to go and no way to go anywhere. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not ideal, but, uh, it could be way worse. Yeah. Just got to kind of put your nose down and get through it. Sounds like you're finding some fun ways to pass the time. Murder, murder novels are very interesting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we'll jump right into things here. Uh, obviously if you're following the college basketball scene, you've seen a lot that, a lot of teams now are almost, I want to say, the majority of teams are scheduling multi, what are called MTEs, multi-team events. Uh, obviously, non-conference schedules have kind of been thrown out the window this year, and it's not necessarily completely out the window, but they're not uh, as, as planned, and it's much harder for teams to schedule, te- schedule games now. So these multi-team events are kind of what uh, everybody's turning to. Of course, UMass played in the Mohegan Sun event last year. It's nothing new to the, to the scene, I should say. Uh, but it's it's kind of become the focal point this year as a way for teams to get non-conference games under their belt, get some experience before they go into conference play. And with all the logistics and all the difficulties that are going into this season, uh, it seems like one of the best ways for teams 
to get some practice before they get into their conference schedule. So UMass, uh, it was announced or tweeted out from John Rothstein that UMass was going to be participating in a multi-team event. We heard from Coach McCall about a month ago now, said that uh, him and his guys are, are willing to play no matter what. They just want to play. They want to get out there and they want to show what they've got this year. So still waiting for news to come out about that multi-team event. We're going to get into some speculation, I guess, right now uh, and talk about what we might be expecting from that. It's expected to be played at Mohegan Sun, something of like a bubble almost, and yeah, a good way for uh, teams to play during the coronavirus. And so we'll get right into it. I want to ask you guys, are there teams uh, on the docket that stand out to you as, as, as a good matchup for UMass or one that you're uh, particularly looking forward to or hoping that might happen? Uh, Nathan, I, I guess we could start with you. I think the important thing is it's more about the sort of quality of team that UMass goes up against rather than, uh, you know, the, the specifics. I would have loved to see UMass go up against BC um, but BC ended up filling a vacancy in an already existing MTE at Mohegan Sun. Um, just, you know, we all know how BC is terrified to play their uh, big brothers from Amherst. And uh, it's too bad. It's too bad because it seems like such a natural game to schedule when you're dealing with, you know, travel limitations because of the pandemic. You could even do a home and home at Conti Forum and at the Mullen Center. But nonetheless, in terms of what I would look for from an MTE, you would have to you would want to say that two of the three games would be against P5 schools and the other one would be against another mid-major. Um, considering that the non-conference options this year are going to be very limited for all schools, but particularly for A10 schools, uh, and considering the fact that the A10 is really poised to have a fairly strong year i think as a conference you look at the players who are returning and there aren't really too too many significant departures i guess we can talk about obi top a little bit later on today um but you know you've got him you've got uh goodmanson from davidson but there's a whole lot of returning talent uh in this league that i think is going to make it's possible that we end up seeing you know five or six teams from the a10 having a legitimate chance to make the tournament I think you would want to, you'd definitely want the, the bare minimum would be one power five team. I think ideally you would be, you would face two, uh, especially because UMass lost some of their opportunities to play P5 schools in their, you know, previously existing non conference schedule. Yeah, I agree with Nathan. I just want to see basketball, man. I just want UMass to get in a tournament. I want to see basketball. I don't care who it's against. I'm excited because uh, we kind of went through the power rankings of players last week, uh, Cam along with Joey, um, Trey Mitchell. I want to see how potentially the best player in the A-10 with the absence of Toppin um, and everybody else that uh, is graduated or being drafted, I want to see how that's going to affect the uh, A-10. And I want to see if maybe the UMass can make a statement in an early tournament that will set them up to be in great position for the season ahead. Right. And you're seeing it come out more and more on Twitter. Uh, a lot of teams – putting their their MTE in writing and in, in, in coming out with and announcing the teams that are going to be involved with diff these different MTEs, these multi-team events. Like I say, UMass still hasn't, uh, or it hasn't been reported exactly who UMass will be playing in their event. Uh, you'd expect that news to start to come out pretty soon. Last year, uh, the event at Mohegan Sun, the 2019 Basketball Hall of Fame tip-off, UMass played in this Naismith bracket. They played Virginia, of course, the defending champions from last year. Had that game against St. John's. Arizona State was in the, the bracket. I don't believe they played them. Uh, but still, I mean, early in the year last year, obviously leading up to that Virginia game, that was kind of all the talk for UMass. You're going up against the defending champions. You got a chance to really 
make a big impact on the rest of uh, college basketball and division one basketball by getting a win against them. That would obviously make ripples. Uh, that's what these kind of events are for. You get a chance in, in non-conference games, you get a chance to play some upper echelon opponents uh, and make a name for yourself. So Nathan, like, like you're saying, you, you hope that there could be a power five school, maybe even two uh, that give UMass a chance to compete with, with some of the better uh, opponents available to them. Uh, last year, of course, that Virginia game, they, they did show some strength in the first half there. Trey Mitchell goes on that run. It's, it's looking like pretty good. And maybe there's a chance in the second half for them to win that they didn't end up winning. They couldn't really shoot the ball that well from beyond the perimeter of that game. Uh, and obviously Virginia had a very strong defense. So that plays a role into it. St. John's as well. You see TJ weeks kind of have to man the man, the ball a little more and try to score and create for himself. I felt like you got to see him do that, that game kind of showed a little to, to me, at least personally, that he's more than just a catch and shoot guy. Uh, he showed his ability to get to the rim and to the free throw line. Um, so you can really learn a lot about a team uh, in these multi-team events and these non-conference games. And obviously with non-conference games being so limited this year, it's very important. And uh, we expect more news to come out about that to kind of get more of a set list exactly who UMass is going to play. But you, like you said, Nathan, you got to be hopeful there's some pretty good competition there and you can maybe see them yeah, try to show you something early on in the season. And kind of that's where you kind of get to see what you're working with. Uh, and I think, like I say, with Trey Mitchell in that game against Virginia, you kind of got to see that he wasn't going to shy away from big moments. He was going to step up when his when his name was called. And he, and he kind of did that there in that Virginia game. They just, UMass couldn't pull it out as a whole. Um, but yeah, I mean, was there anything else we kind of kind of wanted to touch on there? I mean, I mean, thinking about the games that UMass has lost due to, due to COVID already, um, you know, Harvard and Yale, are two teams that were, you know, I think in the top 75 uh, in terms of their final Ken Palm rankings last year, Yale ended up actually getting the auto bid from the Ivy League. Uh, and, and frankly, Yale, a team that played UMass incredibly, incredibly well uh, at the Mullen Center, ended up beating them in, was it double overtime or just single overtime last year? I forget, but I know that I know there was uh, some free basketball played at the end of that one. And then Harvard, a team that, again, continues to compile these four-star recruits uh, that's a game that those are two games that could have been really big tests, especially the games um, that are played in Cambridge, because we know the UMass faithful turn out a lot for that one. And then, of course, UMass was scheduled to host Rutgers, and we're not sure if that game is going to happen, but Rutgers are a team that should be ranked this year. Um, so it's going to be hard for UMass. I, I think this is going to be something that's, that happens all around the NCAA, where teams that need these sort of upset wins to catapult themselves into potential at-large bids uh, mm. are going to struggle to do that because obviously um, limited non-conference play means that the schools that are in bigger conferences are going to have a massive advantage when it comes to how their rankings are Polling, traditionally yeah. determined. Right. And yeah, I mean, you look up and down the schedule from last year no, no crazy uh, non con or yeah non conference wins for UMass that kind of where they could kind of show what they were capable of. I guess you might say, like you said, Nathan, that game against Yale was a single overtime game. Azir Swain for Yale ended up making some big shots in that one. Yeah, you're right. It was a very fun game, but I mean, yeah, there there are no real standout wins from non conference play last year, and you have to think that with this new roster this year coming in that. UMass would definitely like to, to be playing some some of their some tougher opponents outside of conference and to get a chance to prove themselves. Unfortunately, this year with obviously COVID and everything like that, they might not get that chance, which is unfortunate. But you have to think they're looking forward to an MTE and hopefully getting some some tougher competition in there and 
maybe get a chance to prove themselves. Uh, Devin, I'm sorry, did I cut over you? Did you have something you wanted to jump in with? No, I was just kind of helping Nathan out with polling. And I'd like to add, I feel like UMass brings a different energy to these big games that they have. I feel like they keep them close for a long time, and then uh, eventually they just slip away. Like like you said, Virginia they stuck with, St. John's they stuck with, South Carolina I think they only lost by four, and then they always give Providence a run for their money. Uh, Dayton last year they gave a run for their money. So I think they just got to have that element to their game and be able to close out uh, and get some wins because those are, and like you said, there's not going to be a lot of opportunities to do it. And I think uh, Nathan made a great point that um, if you're not playing a lot of P5 schools and non-conference games, it's going to be hard come tournament time if that uh, happens because you think like UCF in football last year, they were undefeated, but they didn't play any huge schools and that kept them from making the college football playoff. Um, of course, a whole different scenario because there's 64 teams versus four, but still uh, kind of the same idea that it's, it's very difficult uh, to get a good seed or sometimes even make the tournament if you don't have a lot of difficult uh, strength of schedule. Right. And we talk about it, that the Atlantic 10 is becoming more of a powerhouse conference as the years go on. Obviously, last year you have a guy like Obi Toppin, who's going to probably be a top five pick in the NBA draft. Uh, Dayton as a whole is the number one team in the country. They're going undefeated. They're about to make a run in the tournament. Obviously, it gets cut short. And I'm sure for a lot of Dayton fans and even some A-10 fans who who would like to see one of their teams in their conference go ahead and make a name for themselves, it was a little disappointing to have the the tournament get canceled last year. Um, so that's another thing, too, for you, Mass, is without these conference non-conference games, you don't really get a chance to prepare for conference play that maybe goes under talked about the fact that, well, I, no, actually I think it's talked about just enough, but the A-10 is a strong conference. Uh, there's no one who can really denounce that and or disagree with that. I mean, you got some real powerhouse teams now in the conference, some real powerhouse players. Uh, UMass is still trying to make a name for themselves and they don't really get much time to prepare uh, before they go into conference play. And that can obviously be detrimental, but still things are uh, yet to be seen. Obviously we'll, we'll, we'll expect that news about their multi-team event to come out soon and see who they're playing. That'll all be interesting. And uh, we'll see how things shake out again. Fingers. I keep my fingers crossed that things will go kind of somewhat as planned this year. Obviously it's not a typical season for any sport or at any level uh, right now and nothing in the world yeah, is, is, is normal by any means so just got to keep your fingers crossed and hope that things can go somewhat as planned but we'll, we'll move along here uh, unless you guys have anything else you wanted to add on that but some news coming from the woman's side of thing side of things uh, of course Nathan you covered the minute woman I've covered the minute woman uh, in the past we both know Candace Walker uh, she Recently, news coming out that Candace Walker is going to be moving away from UMass and accepting a job at Loyola, Maryland. So I know, Nathan, that you've obviously, like I said, gotten to know her and, and built a little relationship with her. So maybe we could just uh, share some some of our thoughts on that real quick and, and kind of wishing her well, I guess, as she goes to a new, new stage in her career. I, I guess I could let you start. Yeah, definitely. I mean, she's a big part of like the I think the fa the family aspect of UMass women's basketball. I think that's something that from top to bottom from Coach Verdi and all the way down through the coaching and, and uh, scouting ranks and recruiting ranks, they've really tried hard to build. And I think that showed in how close she was with a number of or pretty much everyone on the on the roster. Uh, and I know she will definitely be missed, but she has an exciting opportunity now to return to Loyola and down in Maryland. And we wish her the best. I think, uh, you know, this would have been her sixth year, I believe at UMass. 
um, for the former uh, Loyola star. So, you know, I, I think she's taking a jump right now and hopefully it pays off for her. Right. And like I say, I mean, I, I, I obviously know new coach Walker and more of a professional setting and how she acted as a coach, but you can see just in the way she carried herself that she was always uh, optimistic and positive with the team and the way she coached. I think she had a big impact on recruitment because like you said, she was a player and now returning to Loyola, that is her alma mater. So got to be happy, happy for her in that sense to be returning to something of a home for her. Uh, but I think you could really see in the way she recruited, obviously UMass has had some great recruiting classes uh, in these past couple of years. Coach Verdi's kind of been able to build more of a team that he's comfortable with coaching and can do a lot more things with. Obviously Sam Breen comes in. That was a great recruit. Uh, he had, Haley Liddell, who's going to be leaving this year. We'll see how that kind of plays an impact on on what what this Minute Woman roster looks like. But I think you got to see that Coach Walker was uh, a great recruiter. She's definitely an asset to any coaching uh, staff. And uh, I think she's going to do a, a great job at Loyola, where she obviously played basketball and thrived as a player. Uh, I think it's always a great feeling to return to your alma mater and kind of continue to push them. Yeah, you feel a sense of, uh, you know, since, yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. I wish her the best. Um, you were, you are, UMass, as the motto goes. So we wish her the best, and hopefully, uh, there is nothing like playing for your alma mater, as you've touched on, Cam. Um, so we just wish her the best. Yeah. So Candace Walker, if you're listening, kudos to you. Great job. Uh, a great career at UMass, and wish you nothing but the best over at Loyola. Uh, but jumping back into some some more men's basketball talk, the A10, uh, we got a, a little topic here. Just kind of talk. We talked about it uh, either an episode or two ago uh, about the impact of obviously no fans being in attendance at games with the coronavirus. Uh, we've seen that obviously at the professional level in the NBA, some fans being led into NFL uh, games, but obviously MLB as well. No fans at those games. You'd have to think that in most college basketball games, there will not be fans. Haven't heard really any reports yet that anybody would be thinking of having fans. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we'll get into it. Let me ask you guys. I mean, what effect does that have to, to you guys that there won't be fans in the A-10? I mean, I think I talked about it in that episode, uh, either episode two or three, where I, I was lucky enough last year to be able to travel to Dayton and to St. Louis to some of the the more packed stadiums in the A10. I mean, Dayton was just an absolute madhouse. Uh, Thirteen thousand seats. It's almost it's almost like a I get, well I think it it might be a field house there, but just the way the seats are set up, it's almost like a football field where it's just two huge sets of bleachers on opposite sides of the court, not much seating behind the baskets, and it just goes way up, and there's not an empty seat in the house. Uh, Donovan and I were kind of up under where uh, a Jumbotron TV thing might be in like the corner. We weren't really near the court. And even still, it was like you couldn't hear yourself think. Uh, we had a pretty cool vantage point. But yeah, I mean, fans just constantly excited. They had reason to be excited, obviously, last year with Obi Toppin. And he's throwing down dunks and everybody's just absolutely freaking out. So obviously, that is a, a, a pretty big advantage when you're the Flyers and you have that behind you when you're playing home games. Obviously, you might not have that this year. What effect does that play? Does that give a team like a UMass who's still in the middle of the pack trying to make a name for themselves uh, more of an opportunity to, to win some games against some of the tougher teams? I, clearly, the teams that it disadvantages the most are the teams with the best you know, home court advantage. So, I mean, maybe it's a bit of a truism, but obviously, you know, a team like Dayton that whose who's men's and women's teams are used to playing against or in front of a sold out crowd are going to 
are possibly going to suffer a little bit more than a team like I don't want to say UMass necessarily because there are times when UMass does draw really well, but the fact that the Mullen Center is significantly bigger than most of the other arenas in the A-10 means that it can feel a little emptier. So you think about teams like Dayton, St. Louis is another team that you know has incredible fan support. Even Davidson with their, uh, it's a smaller field house, but uh, it can get packed and the sound carries really, really well there. Um, so obviously that will have an effect personally i'm gonna i'm feeling a little sad that we're not gonna get to see sign man uh at all <laughs> if there are no fans obviously a big fixture of the umass uh basketball community but uh i mean look i think it's most important that some amount of basketball is played uh and i think that not having fans is just clearly the safest way to go about things right now like i think about the fact that florida today announced that they're they removed all of their restrictions around the capacity for their stadiums. And I just think that that's just a terrible idea. Like we've already seen what, you know, a hundred COVID cases in the Amherst area looks like. And that looks like me being forced to, you know, isolate in a hotel for two weeks. I think about what would happen if, you know, any amount of students were allowed to come to games and the closed air, that comes with being in an indoor venue. And just I just do not see that being remotely feasible. So it's definitely disappointing. It's disappointing for the bands as well, I'm sure. But clearly the right way to go about things. Yeah, I think they are making the right decisions. Um, they're tough, and they're, uh, but they are in the long run the right decisions um, so that hopefully one day we can get back to reality and can get back to playing the game in front of a roaring crowd. But I think that not having fans uh, might level the playing fields, fields a little bit. Um, as much as I hate to say it, the Mullen Center is not always uh, extremely packed during a game. I mean, like you said, there's a couple games, but um, not always 100% packed, um, especially for basketball. So hopefully that if UMass can put together a good season and make people want to buy tickets and want to come out to the games, um, maybe they'll have a little advantage now that other teams don't have those fans cheering them on. Um, and maybe seal a few more wins and make people want to come out and see them. So it might have a reverse effect and lead to some more fans wanting to come see UMass basketball. I guess sort of building off of that, though, I think where it's really going to be felt is in the athletic departments, because we know that a lot of these teams are facing big budget crunches. And we've already seen, you know, some athletics workers have to be furloughed um, mm -hmm. at UMass, too. So I think it's important that either the state or the school provide enough funding so that teams aren't forced to choose between either endangering members of the community or letting go of workers. And obviously that's a, that's a, it's wishful thinking, but uh, certainly that's the goal, right? Yeah. Can you guys still hear me? All right. Welcome back. Didn't take a real break, but some technical difficulties still uh, trying to navigate the whole recording from home thing. It wasn't actually you guys. It was a me thing. But we're back here. And so, yeah, we're talking about that whole the, the fan situation. And it's interesting, Nathan, you bring up that uh, the Mullen Center is bigger than most stadiums. I think it was maybe Carl. I'm not even sure. I, I know I thought about asking the question. I actually can't remember if I did or not uh, to Carl. If there was a difference between just shoot. And obviously there is, but like a major difference between shooting in other stadiums and gyms compared to the Mullen Center. And obviously you practice uh in in their practice facility which is a little different than the Mullen Center but like 
I feel like you're shooting from the corner in the Mullen Center. There's so much more space from the edge of the floor to the first row of seats uh, in the stands. And I just feel like there's such a difference in depth perception, I guess, inside the Mullen Center than other stadiums. And obviously, none of us play on the, on the team, and we, we don't have real insight uh, as to what it's like to be in a game or shoot a corner three during a game. But it's definitely a question I want to ask, especially now when there are not being any fans and that throws off depth and everything like that and just the total the overall vibe inside the gym and the stadium. But I don't know if you guys can agree with me there or, or have an opinion on that. I feel like that there's just like more space between the court and the first row of stands uh, than any other stadiums I've been to. Or am I just a madman? Can you even hear me? <laughs> no, we can we can hear you. Wait, Devin, what is this breaking news that you have? So I have Nathan, you might have got this too, but I'm seeing that there will be no UConn basketball or hockey games held at the Hartford XL Center until fall of 21. That doesn't uh, make me feel so good. That's very close. Wow. Yeah, not 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 the greatest uh, news, I guess, for UConn fans who I guess are going to have to find a new venue for their for their teams <laughs> to play in. Also for the AHL team that plays at the XL Center. So I don't know. Very very interesting stuff. Uh, as we continue to talk about sort of the arenas in which we're going to be watching or not watching basketball this upcoming year. Yeah, that's uh, some shocking news. Definitely, like you said, not a good sign. Uh, um, never a good sign to hear that someone's completely canceling. Still. No, I don't. I don't think they're completely canceling. They're oh. it's just just the, oh, just the, the venue. Stadium? Yeah, just the venue is going to oh, change. Oh, sorry, I, I still that. think that's Gary. That's pretty close to here. It kind of concerns me a tad bit. Yeah, and it's interesting, and I wonder if they'll change it as the season uh, nears closer that the stadium that UMass plays in is being used as a testing site right now. Maybe it's just <laughs> me, but that seems like that might need to change, or I don't know, maybe it doesn't, but well, well, the reason the reason that the XL Center uh, isn't going to be used for UConn is because the economics behind UConn renting out the XL Center only really work if they're selling out the stadium. Oh, uh, right. It's a 15,000 seater. And paying rent on a on that is is not cheap, and so it doesn't really make sense for UConn in a world with no fans to be, uh, you know, spending that much money, especially when they were one of the first teams and the, uh, the first schools in the nation to cut uh, athletic programs this past spring. So now, do they have a stadium on their campus too? I feel like is that the same? No, that's not that's the a same great one. question. It, it, they no, do have a stadium on their campus. Because UConn, yeah, in it, but. UConn's located in stores, and the Excel Center's in Hartford, which is like you know twenty five minutes. Yeah, away. so I think they have one on campus. I wonder if they'll use that. It's not as big, but it's definitely a, a venue that they might consider using. I yeah, and I mean, I sort of floated this idea um, on Twitter a while ago, but I think it would have been great if UMass had op- had had offered to host a bubble. Uh, in Amherst, because you think about it, we have enough gyms on campus for each school to have its own practice facility between Mullins, Kennedy, Totman, and Curry Hicks Cage. You mm-hmm. also have multiple, you, know, you have the ability to produce multiple games at once because, you know, in the Mullins Center, all the time, USN uh, broadcasts multiple games at once. So I, I think that would have been a really fun thing, not to mention the fact that we have an on campus hotel, which a lot of schools don't necessarily have um obviously mohegan sun makes a lot of sense too given that there's a hotel there and it's a little bit more convenient for schools that aren't in the northeast but uh just as another tangent that i think could be fun at some point 
uh, for UMass. Right. The uh, the prospect of getting back in the cage, uh, like I say, with the testing site being the Mullen Center right now, I've, I've, I saw some speculation about that on Twitter. Obviously, UMass uh, had some some success back in the cage that back in the back in the day. So maybe they, they wouldn't mind to get back in there and kick it back old school. I'd love court to, to court, there. right? A court is a court. I mean, I think the dimensions the, are the same. The only the only concern is the ability to wire it for a TV broadcast. I think that's the main, right. I think, I forget, someone asked uh, Ryan Banford about that. I think that was his his first statement, but, you know. Be a lot It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out, but, you know, breaking news on the men's basketball show here, episode four, of course, that UConn uh, women's basketball, men's basketball, and men's hockey will not be playing at the XL Center until the fall of 2021. Take that for what you will. Uh, but we'll keep things rolling here with another topic. Um, again, UMass Basketball Show, episode four here, October 7th. Appreciate those that are tuning in and listening. Cam Seibert, Devin Dobick, and Nathan Strauss here bringing you all the talk. Appreciate you guys being with me. So we'll keep things rolling on the topics. This is one that I'm very interested in and, and, and uh, happy to move along to Obi Toppin. We talked about him. Played for Dayton last year. Was in the running for uh, player of the year. About to enter the NBA draft at the end of this season and is projected to be a top three pick. Uh, I've been pretty vocal, I think, off the air with friends and, and and what have you with other people talking about this that I don't necessarily see Obi is making a very great transfer to the NBA. I mean, I, I definitely expect him to go top three. I think, yeah, he's a viable big man. Uh, he can rebound. He can obviously be athletic and jump and make plays and dunk the ball. Yeah, he developed a three-point shot a little bit towards the end of his uh, college playing career. I just don't see how he fits into an NBA landscape. I, I don't know what you guys think. We can get into it. Uh, and I guess I could l- let you guys start. I, I guess I kind of just got the tip of the iceberg there. But Nathan, why don't you go ahead and I have jump such in a, after. I have such a great comparison for him. Otto Porter Jr. went third overall in his draft was a elite score at Georgetown, which I think is similar to Dayton in terms of stature um, in the sort of college basketball landscape. And Otto Porter Jr. has ended up having a totally fine NBA career. He made a lot of money because his contract uh, was signed in the year where the cap went up for the first time. But he's the kind of guy who can drop 10 to 20 points and, you know, you know, you know, up to 10 rebounds will will have his games where he can go off and score. Um, but isn't the sort of elite player that you would want from a, a first to fifth overall pick. That being said, I think this year's NBA draft is incredibly weak uh, in comparison mm. to especially last year's and the year before's. Um, when you look at the lack of a consensus first overall pick, I think that tells you a lot about, uh, where the talent level is at. You look at guys like Wiseman um, and and you look at the fact that a lot of guys, a lot of the sort of sophomores and juniors and seniors who might've been draft eligible deciding to return to school because they didn't get a chance to, to have their, you know, tournament runs last year. I think that makes a big difference. You look at Kofi Cockburn from Illinois, for example, who I think would have been a top 10 overall pick um, as well. So I think Obi Toppin is going to end up going top five. I think that position is going to flatter him both because of 
his abilities, but also because of the relative thinness of this draft class. And look, like I want him to succeed, right? Like objectively having more talents that succeed is a great thing for the A-10 when you're looking at um, how to sell your school or schools to recruits. Uh, But I didn't think that, (laughs) I mean, Trey Mitchell manhandled Obi Toppin last year and not even from a biased perspective, right? Like Obi Toppin is going to be going up against guys who are bigger, stronger, and faster than, you know, your average defenders at the mid-major level in college. And I don't think that he is going to necessarily have the kind of impact that uh, a lot of Dayton fans think he will. Yeah, I agree with Nate. He took most of the words right out of my mouth. I don't think you can say anything new that you haven't said. You Great player comparison with Otto Porter. Um, but yeah, mid-major school, um, you took the Trey Mitchell point too. I mean, Trey Mitchell locked him down, and that can't happen at the NBA level. Definitely, based on his numbers, he's going to be in the top five, but I, I think he's definitely a risky pick. Um, but there, we've seen players in the past who we, we're not very high on, and and they've turned out to be well. I mean, Joel Embiid, with his injuries, got out to a slow start in his career. Uh, obviously, he couldn't really control that, but it ended up paying off. So maybe some guy that's kind of, I don't know, he might be a little overhyped, but maybe he can live up to that. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it works out for him. Um, but yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I think it's pretty unfortunate that the uh, the March Madness gets canceled last year because obviously that's a, a big time platform for players to showcase their skills. And obviously, Obi was in the running already to be player of the year and people knew about his skill, but that's where you really get to see him up against some tougher competition. He's not just playing mid-major uh, A-10 basketball. He's going to play mm-hmm. some of the, the yeah, the, the tougher competition and you really get to see if he can live up to it. Uh, for me, it's like what you were saying, Nathan, where I just feel like now in the NBA, if you want to be a big and you want to be successful, you need to have a pretty diverse set of skills need to be able to face up on the perimeter, shoot threes, which yeah, Obi was able to do a little bit this year, but, I don't really see much of an ability to 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 score with the ball in his hands, and also, like you said too, he he struggles defending against a freshman in the league. Sure, a ten freshman of the year, but still, it's just not a good look to not be able to play some some post defense and stop a guy like Trey Mitchell, who although shifty, just came into the league and still had to prove himself. Uh, had no business making Obi look the way he made him look, um, but. Who knows? Maybe he'll yeah. prove us wrong. He'll get in the league. And I do think he'll explode. Cut top in a little more slack. I mean, everybody has an off game once in a while. So, you know, maybe uh, if they play UMass five times, hypothetically, you know, maybe the results a little different. So I think maybe we can cut him a little slack there, but definitely uh, is not helping him uh, for that to happen. Uh, getting also, locked down by Trey Mitchell. Yeah. And I mean, that one game sample aside, I think the point about rookies coming into the league needing to have a diverse skill set is really important you look at how a guy like mo bamba who obviously is a little bit of a different physical profile to um to obi Toppin, how he's struggled and he was a dominating physical force in college um mm-hmm. and i kind of see that the i kind of see obi Toppin ending up panning out kind of like grant williams in a weird way like a guy who can end up making an impact off the bench Although I think, you know, he has more of an offensive skill set than Grant Williams does. Um, but again, I just don't really see him being a star. And it, it's, I think he's going to have a lot of expectations because he was a front runner for, you know, player of the year. And I think Dayton were probably, you know, one of, if not the odds on favorites for the NCAA championship. 
Um, but I guess as we maybe we can talk about this now or maybe next episode, Dayton are returning pretty much their entire lineup aside from Obi Toppin. Um, and they are in, in both men's and women's basketball still, I think, the team to beat, um, even as the A10 has gotten a lot better. So Obi Toppin leaves Dayton basketball in a much better place than when he arrived. And I think Flyer stands are thankful for him, uh, thankful for that. I almost wonder if uh, he'll wind up with the Cavs and sort of keep that Ohio, uh, that Ohio tradition going. Well, I'm sure he would like that a lot because I can tell you when you go to those games, yeah, he's like signing babies and he's staying on the court like 30 minutes after the game because they worshipped Obi Toppin. And like you say, for good reason. I mean, he took the school to new heights. And if I could, yeah, sh- shed some more positives on him. I know I've been very pessimistic about him. I'm like you, Nathan. I obviously want to see him succeed. Um, and, and one thing I will say is that he has untapped potential. I mean, he has he has the stuff you can't teach. He is an extremely athletic build. Obviously proved that he can and jump out of the gym and dunk the ball. He's a great rebounder. Uh, it's it, he. The skills that we talk about him maybe not having are stuff that he can obviously develop. He's developed the three-point jump shot uh, throughout his years at Dayton. So I think there's obviously room for improvement. And like I say, he has this, you can't teach size and athleticism. You, you have to be born with that. And he obviously was. So definitely uh, optimistic or try to be optimistic about him uh, entering the NBA. And hopefully we wish him the best. And it'll be fun to see his, his younger brother, Jacob, too, who's still playing college basketball. I'm trying to remember. I know he was on URI, but did he end up entering the transfer portal? I actually think he might have been one of the players who stuck around uh, after that mass departure in the offseason guys at Rhode Island. He transferred to Kentucky, which is a move that made no sense to anyone um, because he's nowhere near good enough to play for Kentucky. But I guess the opportunity to transfer to that school made sense to him. Uh, but I, it, Jacob Toppin was like you know, seventh or eighth man off the bench. Or pardon, he's like a third person off the bench, like the seventh or eighth man on that URI roster. Um, and somehow he wound up at That's going to be really interesting to watch. But um, I think it's because they actually had a, a, a spot open up after Juzang uh, uh, transferred. Out of but yeah, anyway, the URI is going to be a, a, an absolute you know, meltdown this year. They're not going to. I'm curious to Despite the fact that I think a lot of A10 uh, followers are very high on them, but like, we can save that for next time. Yeah, I yeah. definitely say URI's peak. Um, don't want to say peaked, but they're definitely in a decline, at least for a couple of years. They need to have a new recruiting class uh, and kind of work something out. UMass went through it, and hopefully they're on uh, the upward. But um, yeah, since 2014, uh, UMass hasn't really been uh, powerful, dominant, not even dominant, but just um, above 500 even team consistently. So yeah, I think Rhode Island's going to have to enter into it one of those phases but it's okay they'll come out and with a new recruiting class because they have a history they'll be able to bring players in and i think it'll all work out for them yeah and it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening come nba draft time where obi goes and and how he he makes the transfer over to the professional level we'll be paying attention to that uh one last thing i think we should get to here Uh, again appreciate those tuning in and and sticking around till the end here uh we haven't really talked much about UMass uh, specifically and, and obviously this upcoming season I, I guess I wanted to get from you guys and Nathan I know you haven't been on a couple of the episodes maybe get your chance to spew a take maybe what are you most excited about 
for this upcoming season. I know that's been a big thing we've talked about a lot. It's expectations and all that, but I just, yeah, what, what's what's kind of the most exciting thing about this upcoming year from a UMass standpoint for you guys? Don't all jump at the bit at once. I, well, I, was, I feel like I've been talking first the whole time. Kevin, <laughs> you want to take this one first? Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely take this one. I'm just trying to be, uh, trying to keep uh, order, but um, I'm looking forward to uh, the schedule. I, I, I want UMass to put their name back on the map. I think that's what they have to prove this year. Uh, they have a chance with a great player coming back. You could argue a star player, uh, probably top 20 or 30 in the major schools. So they can uh, kind of rally behind him and with their new transfer, Noah Fernandez, who we've talked about for episodes and episodes. Hopefully they can pull something together and put UMass back on the map and maybe even make a run at a tournament or so. I would say that my... I'm most excited to see a full season of TJ Weeks. Uh, he was on pace to be one of the better, one of the best three-point shooters in the entire country and one of the best freshman scorers in the country. And getting a full season out of him and uh, a sort of healthy, motivated TJ Weeks, I think it's going to be really scary. But obviously, I mean, you can't talk about Trin Mitchell enough. Like, his development is going to be really fun to watch uh, just because of how good he is. And I think he's going to have a bit of a chip on his shoulder after that all A-10 first team snub from last year as well. So I think there's a lot to be excited about um, for this UMass team. Definitely the most exciting team that that Coach Coach McCall and, and Bergeron have put together in the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Yeah, kind of on the same line there uh, with the TJ Week thing, TJ Weeks thing. I Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this new guard group uh, and how they pan out, who's going to run uh, the point most often and in, in, in how the, the rotation is going to work. I felt like at times last year, uh, Trey was Trey Mitchell was forced to do a lot, obviously. Games like that URI game on the road, uh, he's scoring more than 30 points and he's like looking for just that extra help to get them over the hump to win some of those games. It'll be exciting for me to see, yeah, is TJ, was TJ the missing piece? Like a lot of people think he was. Can Javon Garcia step in and, and start to provide some scoring from the perimeter? Uh is Colton Mitchell going to make a big upgrade into his sophomore season? Kyra McCrory, obviously, more size at the guard position coming in. It's it, there's and, and then, of course, Noah Fernandes, obviously. You can't leave him out of the conversation. It's going to be really interesting to see uh, wh- how these guys come into their own and exactly what they can provide for UMass because I think that's kind of been the missing piece uh, is, is some strong guard. Well, definitely last year, at least, is, is some strong guard play to, to kind of help uh, support Trey Mitchell underneath the basket and uh, all he did last year. In terms of scoring the ball and running the offense through him so that'll definitely be exciting to see uh still kind of obviously waiting to figure out who's going to be the starting lineup and who's going to run the point but again it's like we keep saying time will tell and we just got to keep our ears and eyes peeled as the season continues to near closer of course that the day after thanksgiving is when the season is expected to start still waiting to hear some more news on this multi-team event uh but other than that, I think that's pretty much going to do it for this episode. Again, appreciate those tuning in. This episode going to be on Spotify. Didn't make it to the air this week. Have some stuff going on uh, at the WMUA in terms of the managerial side of things. But again, want to thank you guys for coming on as well. Cam Seibert here, Devin Dobek, and Nathan Strauss. Appreciate you guys coming on to talk with me. We'll definitely do it again here soon. Uh, but stay tuned for next week's show. Again, men's basketball show airs every Wednesday from 11 to 12 o'clock. Uh, I don't know if you guys have anything last words to sign us off, but other than that, I think that you, that'll typically do it. Yeah, I'm not going anywhere. So I'll, next week, same place, same time, right? 
Yeah, Nathan, keep your sanity in check. <laughs> yeah, we could definitely get on some war zone. Maybe try to get some wins and, and get some some positivity. Yeah, I'm gonna hop on. I'm actually gonna hop on war zone in about ten minutes. I'm just gonna take a quick shower, so I'm down. I'll be on until seven thirty. So hop on whenever. WMUA <laughs> takes to the war zone servers. Devin, any last words? No. Um. Yeah. Best of luck uh, with the work, boys. Nathan, try and stay sane, as Cam said, and uh, maybe you can get out for some golf with us once you get out of quarantine. That would be excellent. I think that uh, my golf skills are far behind yours, but yeah, well, we just go. Uh, we have a great time. We didn't really. We yeah, we embarrassed ourselves out there. And uh, it's okay. I had a few bounce back days after that. After I considered quitting the sport. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, next time we can play a little better. Uh, but our, other than that, that's going to do it. Thanks again for everybody tuning in here to the, to the men's basketball show on WMUA Sports. We will catch you next week, same time, same place. But in the meantime, take it easy, and we'll see you in a little while. Adios.